Well, first off, thank you for taking the time to joining us. Um, Harper Reed, it's been a, a long time since I've seen you. A, an entire pandemic uh, went by. I think the last time was, I want to say it was like Wabash Lights, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I don't even know. Yeah, that could have been it. I remember that with those very tall techno guys. Yeah, it was. it's that or it was Charles. I mean, it was Charles Adler's thing was even before that. So like now we're yeah. really going back in time. This is like, yeah. I forgot about Charles Adler's thing. There were so many cool things that were happening right before the pandemic. I remember sitting in, you know, end of 2019 being like, we're going to real ramp it up in 2020. I, I traveled an insane amount 2019 and I was trying to figure out if I was going to continue traveling like that. I did about a hundred flights, which is just too oh many flights. God. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. And I enjoyed it. Like it was a there was a lot of value to the travel, but it was one of those things where I was like, this is not sustainable or it is sustainable if I make some specific life choices. So I remember just kind of thinking through all that stuff and what a, um, how things change though and how quickly. Tell me about it. I mean, the entire world went from like, I was just starting a family. We got married, had our first kid, like six months old, like, oh, I should take a little break, but I got traveled to come up here and then COVID. It actually helped me. I mean, it was like, oh, I'll, I can sure. still do everything I need to do and do it for my living room. Um, right, right. I'm, I'm curious, like what, what were you working on? And maybe it's still the same thing prior to COVID. And then this happens, like what, what do you keep busy with? What are your, your main, oh, what has question. you traveling a hundred times a year? Well, that was, uh, so that travel, I was speaking mostly at conferences and um, a lot of kind of big, uh, not so much tech as much as uh, kind of like just wealth management conferences, innovation conferences all around the world. Um, my last trip before actually the lockdown in February 2020 was to Montreal to speak at a conference for SAS. Is that what it's called? SAS, the big uh, the big analytics company that does BI work. And yep. um, I was just speaking about big data and the future of AI and all that stuff and kind of just like doing that. And then I was... Um, towards the end of 2019, early 2020, I was working with some really super smart people that were out of uh, MIT Media Lab. And we were kind of kicking around the idea of starting a company to build robotic prosthetics. And I had really fallen in love with the problem set because it was something that didn't have really a consumer perspective, but there were, I forgot the numbers exactly, it was so long ago, but there was like 200,000 or so new um, lower limb amputees a year. And those were just new people that needed a prosthetic. And the insurance companies were a real pain in the ass when it comes to getting a prosthetic. So they would say, for instance, well, this is your first prosthetic. So we're going to give you one that is low mobility until you learn how to use it. And then we'll give you a higher mobility prosthetic, which if you're a young person, you know, under 50 even, um, a, you know, a insurance company making an actuarial decision to decrease your mobility because they're afraid you wouldn't use correctly this expensive prosthetic. I was just like flabbergasted by that was even a thing and they're expensive, but they're not that expensive and insurance companies make them more expensive. And so it was all this stuff. We just started thinking, you know, what if we went direct to consumer? And, and I still think all of this is a real thing, but um, that was like, I think our last meeting around that, before we decided to kind of call the whole thing off was like early February. And then the, the thing about it is it was a lab to lab product. We'd have to be in a lab and we'd be in person. And, you know, in the beginning of February, beginning of March, no one knew what was going to happen. 
let alone like if we're all going to die. And so we were just like, maybe we won't do that lab product. And um, which was a real bummer. I was really, I remember being really bummed about this because I mean, even today, I still think this is such an important thing. And, and healthcare is such a, a fucked up organization just in general, like in the US anyway, where it's, I was talking to a VC in this space. And one of the things they said is that in all of their years of being a VC in healthcare, they've never seen a pitch of a company that is seriously trying to make things cheaper. They've always just seen people come in and try and make things more expensive, which is is weird because in like tech startups, right? It's always you try and make it 10x cheaper, 10x better. You have all these kind of simple like silly metrics. And um, and so we were just like, we can make it cheaper. We can make it so instead of paying like 100K from insurance company, we can pay $2,500 out of pocket. We can set up, you know, rent to own type situations. We can make it ethical. Like all these things, we started really thinking about this stuff and it was really exciting. It was a really exciting opportunity. And then, Obviously, COVID happened, and that kind of, it was a little bit like the record just stopped. It's kind of like when yep. you're at that party, you're at that club, and the music just turns off and the lights turn on. That's kind of how it felt, where it was just like, oh, fuck, now we got to, <laughs> what do we got to do? And, this, you know, my partner works, and uh, so she came home, and, you know, we all started working at home, lasted about maybe 45 minutes in the same room. She was just like, I, I was like, I don't have a job. I'll just go downstairs. Um, so, like, my entire life changed drastically. Everyone's did, but, like, I was traveling all over, speaking at conferences, scratch that. I was trying to start this company that was very high, high tech lab based, you know, scratch that. So I just sat in my basement and uh, tried to figure out what I was doing with my life. Um, programmed a lot of computers. Um, I actually, you know, honestly, what I did is I started just getting really involved with different COVID tech things. There was a group called US Digital Response, which was about taking, you know, people who were kind of like me, just kind of like on the couch, and trying to embed them into states and local organizations and governments to help them just get things done. So I spent some time with some people in um, Michigan. I spent some time with some people in California. Just, it was actually really funny. I was really mad about this because it was hard for me to help in Illinois, but it was easy for me to help outside of Illinois. And I was like, come on. I like, like the governor literally invested in my last company. Like, it's not like I don't know these people. It's just right. Illinois is a big, complex beast. <clears throat> And whereas like the other places I think are big and complex, but not like Illinois, Illinois is special. Illinois is uh yeah, there's a special part in my heart for Illinois and everything that goes on here. It's such like, a special place. Why, why do we continue to build here? I don't know. I, don't I, know. I do know, but I don't know. Um, it's nice, man. I think it's actually a, a little bit of a liability because I think that Illinois and Chicago is my, where I'm from. Um, so I can only speak really to Chicago, but it's like very nice, has good resources and it's relatively inexpensive for what you get. Um, and you know, it's like, you don't have to, I don't know. You don't have to have like two exits to be able to afford to send your kid to school. Right. Um, right. You know, it's still expensive, but it's not like San Francisco or New York or any of these other places. So it's kind of a funny, it's kind of a funny problem, but regardless, so I spent a lot of time on that. And then in the middle of COVID, I just started, honestly, I started building weird stuff for video and um, that turned into a company, a venture back company called uh, General Galactic. And with a bunch of the people that I've worked with for the past 15 years, we just got together, started building um, all sorts of interesting things around like, how do you put stuff on your screen? And what it turned into was basically a JavaScript SDK for video. And really what, what, what kind of, to, to describe it, we tried to make it a kind of Twitch for business vibe of like, if you're, you know, if you're used to streaming on Twitch, but like, how do you take those same kind of 
apps and those examples and interactions and put them on your screen. That was a, it was good. It was really fun. We built it. And then we basically realized that, you know, this is not the product that we thought it was going to be. We, um, and then we pivoted um, and we pivoted again and again and again. We did like a hundred pirouettes. <laughs> um, hopefully we're done pirouetting at this point, but we raised a, a bunch of money and uh, had like gone down that path building this product. And so that was, that was end of 2020. And so beginning of 2020 was on my way to do this, you know, this prosthetic robotic legs thing um, that kind of collapsed, spent a bunch of time just trying to help where I could and then um, through that experience, met some really good VCs, did some really great kind of um, networking. And they were like, hey, this thing you built, why don't, why don't we make it commercial? Like, what's something we can do with this? And that was kind of, that led to having uh, Galactic, um, which was the company that I have now. Awesome. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, the founder of um, Evernote was involved <laughs> in a, <clears throat> some sort of called, kind of... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called. Mm-hmm. I had him on my show, and he was talking about it. This is, of course, like right in the beginning of COVID. Yeah. So this like, stuff is super cool. Like the mm-hmm stuff was, which I hate the name. Um, yes, but that was uh, a conversation topic on the show. It was just uh, all of these companies. I have a buddy of mine who, speaking of Twitch, he was the former CSO of Twitch, and he's got the company. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why? What? Yeah. Oh, like how many O's? I don't know. Like I've got to Google this. Two O's, four O's. What are we dealing with? Exactly. Mm, so, so I, I think there's a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of fun around it, the playfulness. But I really liked what what was doing. And ultimately, it it was. I think ultimately it would have been a competitor to Galactic Camera if we would have kept going. But we were doing something that was so drastically different. They were saying like, how can we do presentations better? How can we do all this stuff? We were more like, how do you embed? tech directly onto your video because what we had watched is we'd watched all these twitch people build all of this just insane stuff like a keyboard that fits on their wrist that they can hit and have like things pop up you know and all sorts of just really exciting stuff and i was like well how do we do that like i want to do that so we we made it i mean it's it's incredible you you know it works really well you can actually download it now it's galactic.camera um it is largely unsupported um, and, but it works pretty well. It's kind of fun. And it like, you know, you can, you can put GIFs on your screen and you could, there's a developer aspect. You can write apps for it. And, and, but, but via that, so we're building this stuff and, uh, we just had all of these apps that we were building, all these apps people were using. And we had a, co- a few thousand users and like we had people that were using it every day. Um, we just realized the business was bad. But while we were realizing this business or before, um, we started embedding a whole bunch of like metaverse stuff in there. And so like, how do you start like, and this was before we kind of knew the term metaverse in the grand scheme of, uh, you know, meta and all this other stuff around the metaverse, Web3, et cetera. And so we started thinking a lot around, like for us, it was about communication. How do we make communication better? How do we make it so you can put text on your screen? And then we started thinking, seeing like the writing about the metaverse and we started thinking, well, you know, the, the metaverse is like, we're all on Zoom 24 hours a day. I like that we're thinking about the metaverse from this other perspective, but this is like, I'm in the metaverse, man. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm cruising the matrix or whatever. And it's like, uh, it's kind of, 
it was kind of this depressing notion of this is the metaverse maybe and you see like mark zuckerberg doing this stuff and it's like that looks cool but like mm -hmm. i'm stuck in here every day man like i want something cool so we start building those cool things and then the other thing that is happening around that same time is a bunch of us and a bunch of my friends we got really really into uh nfts and crypto way more and I'd always been a crypto skeptic and kind of on the side watching it and never being real like this is going to, you know, change the world. And one of the big misunderstandings I always had was I, I was always really bored with the idea of digital gold. And I was really excited about the idea of like Star Trek money. Yeah. And so I was like, how do like, I, I didn't really buy the Bitcoin, like, this is the perfect store of value kind of thing. Although I, I, I enjoyed it. And I thought it was really cool. But it was really like, for me, it was like, how do we like, what is the thing that like, what, what can this do? And especially because I mean, I, I sold a company to PayPal, all this stuff, very interested in making a, a bigger, like commerce, I think is really important. So when the NFT stuff started happening, um, what was happening is I had all this thing very visual this galactic camera and this is like early 21 everyone is like thinking about nfts all my friends are i'm, I'm in all these really cool networks around nfts and all trying to figure out how you display it so then we we're like fuck it we'll just put nfts on the galactic camera so then you can show it on your video screen and it looks really cool you know and it's like this is nice uh, and then we we're like okay well how do we and then we just kept thinking more and more about like how do we do all this stuff with nfts and that was something that we um we started to get really, really deep into a lot of the Web3 stuff. And um, when we were in the middle of this pivot, what ended up happening is we realized that we should just start building crypto stuff. Um, and we didn't know what those things were going to be. We had, we had literally no idea. We had, we were just, honestly, we were just playing around. And so we just kind of started building, I mean, honestly, all sorts of weird shit. And most of it wasn't stuff that you could say like, um, and I think this is the case for a lot of crypto. There wasn't like a direct product there. So we built like we played around with some NFT drops. We built a contract that did um, on-chain SVG rendered NFTs via floppy disk.xyz, which was really funny because we, we did it kind of more as a joke just to kind of see how it went. And then, um, and then I tweeted out the Etherscan link. And then it sold out immediately, and the team didn't even get a chance to get it. Mentum, because we were doing it for ourselves. We weren't doing. We were literally doing it to learn. We yeah. weren't doing it to like have a drop and all that stuff. And it just sold out immediately. And then I had to go on OpenSea and buy a bunch of them for the team because like, the team really wanted them. So I <laughs> spent all this money doing that. I was like, damn. Um, but that was really cool. And and our rule was after Galactic Camera, we were like, we need to write up what we learned. We can't just be doing these experiments internally and just do it ourselves. Like we really need to invest heavily in in understanding exactly you know what's going on and then and talk about it. So you know the floppy disk thing, we we wrote up a bunch of stuff. We wrote up our learnings around it. We wrote up like how the drop went. We wrote up how I screwed everything up. Um, and we would just do this over and over again. We would do something interesting. We would write it up. We you know work with partners and friends and write it up and do it again. And um, so we built a uh, Apple TV app. This is actually a funny time to talk about this because we built this Apple TV app um, called fancy.art. We like to joke that it was f.art, but fancy.art. And fancy.art was just a way to put your NFTs on your video screen because we were like, you buy this expensive ass art, you can't do anything with it except show people your phone. That's pretty boring. Like, what if you put it on a screen? 
So we were like, Apple TVs are dope. Let's do it. So we built it. We put it on. Uh, worked pretty well. Then Apple denied us. And why it's funny today is because Apple today just changed the terms of service to say that you can have apps like that. Literally today, and this was released November 19th, almost a year ago, is when we were working on this. So that, that was a real bummer for us because we really tried hard to push this out there. Yeah, it's kind of funny. We, we, kept, we just kept getting rejected. We pushed on it for like two months to try and figure it out, and we just never were able to do it. Um, then we just built a handful of other things. Like we said, we built like a little NFT watcher. Um, we, then we started doing some more interesting things because we started to learn a little bit more about what, it, what that world meant for us. And this is where like the meat of our journey kind of started. Um, from there, we started really, we, you know, I think the main thing is we were looking heavily towards um, the tech side. Like we're a tech team where my, my background is programmer. Um, and we really started focusing on what is the tech side here? So we started building what, what amounted to a, uh, you know, we called it a, a gas-friendly ERC-721 contract, which is an NFT contract, super gas-friendly. This is something that was really interesting for us because we were really mad about kind of the how much it costs to do work in NFTs, and we wanted it to yeah. be more accessible. Um, and this is, I think, the fundamental thing that, that is my takeaway from the Web3 space is our goal is accessibility. Like that's fundamentally what we're trying to solve. We are not very good at building out, just we as the general, I think yeah. the tech in general, but like in the Web3 space, we're not very good at building things that are accessible for noobs, that are accessible for you know, normal people that are just trying to be hobbyists, that are accessible for people with different abilities. Like it's not an accessible space. Um, it's not even a very mobile space. Like meaning it doesn't even work very well in mobile apps even to this day. And it's very strange. And so we were like, okay, we have to figure out how to make NFTs cheaper. Um, and so we spent a bunch of time around that. And the goal was how do you make it more efficient, which was really important. How do you make it more accessible is really important. Um, we then got really into like looking at what was happening on DAOs. So we created a uh, DAO search engine. Um, which was because that was the same type of thing. We wanted to figure out what is happening in this world. Like there's so much going on and sitting in a billion discords and listening to a bunch of people trying to shill a bunch of stuff isn't really helping. How do you really get to the meat? So we created this thing called Dow Wow, which is a really, because we, we created big Dow Wow and then we had little Dow Wow, which was the <laughs> whole joke. <laughs> like we're, we're pretty much dumb as rocks, to be honest, just having fun trying to, trying to, trying to build meat things and Dow Wow was really cool um, because what it allowed for us to do was just very simply um, search across all these various DAOs that were doing interesting things. And um, it was pretty interesting to see how it went. Like it was like, you know, uh, seeing that stuff, um, seeing how different proposals were there or seeing how people talked about things, um, you know, seeing, you know, even today just looking at, um, you know, various things around like, you know, OFAC is such a big deal in crypto, but watching all this stuff around OFAC within the various DAOs and kind of seeing that stuff work and then doing discovery around it. And um, like all that stuff has been really, really interesting to see. And that was one of our reasons is we are like, once again, going back to this accessibility thing of like, there's a lot of people who want to get involved with this stuff, but they can't, or they're skeptical. And so like, how do you give them research opportunities that, that aren't so like, hardcore or you don't have to be 100% bought in to participate. And so we spent a lot of time um, thinking through that stuff because fundamentally our goal is about building products for a lot of people. That's what we've always done. You know, that's what the thing that we really want to do and like to do. And what we noticed is that, you know, on the Web3 side, it's such a nascent community 
someone was like, well, why does it have all this stuff? And it's like, well, it was kind of invented. Like, let's even give it, let's even say five years ago and give a lot of people, let's give three years head start. You know, it's like not right. even that old. And so it's like this whole thing and there's all these problems. Some of them are solved. Like I do think Ethereum really kind of didn't solve with a capital S, but is on its way of solving some of the, you know, environmental stuff took a long time, but they did it. Like they executed on that thing with the merge, which is incredible. Mm. There's all sorts of these, these things that are like, it's going towards a place that I think is better than it was. Um, but it's still hard as, as hell to participate in sometimes. So how do we make it easier? And that's something we thought a lot about. We, we thought a lot and and we really kind of built a, a lot of random stuff around that. And then after DAO, I'm just kind of giving you the rundown of what we did because it's, it just goes on forever, to be honest. We spent all this time doing all this fun stuff. Then we made a thing called we moved we moved from fancy.art from being the Apple TV thing to being an NFT search engine. And oh my gosh, we crawled every NFT. Seriously, literally all of them. We downloaded every NFT. We we cached all of the resources. So you could search. Um, and it was awesome. It was an incredible experience because we were like, how do we make a non-exchange based search engine for NFTs, but it just cost too much money to run. So we had it up for a couple months and then we were like, no one, no one is using it, but more importantly, it wasn't a priority for us. We weren't going to continue yeah. investing into it. So we shut it down um, about a month ago, but we, we launched that early this year. And so that goes to early this year. And then at that point we were able to really build an actual thesis on what we as Galactic want to do and where we want to make our mark. I'll tell you about that in a sec, but I've talked for about 200 years now. So no, honestly, I was going to tell you before you're like answering some of the questions that I had. My next, my next question was going to be into web three when you started the conversation about, mm -hmm, and you took yeah. me there. So honestly continue. I, I think it's okay. just personally, I, I, I see, and you talk about um, accessibility with my company Songfinch. obviously everything was heading towards web three. Everything is heading towards this. Like, Oh, are you guys going to have music NFTs? Are you going to do this and that and this? Yeah. And like, we know the guys at Royal and I can go on for hours about why I do and don't think that buying a fractional ownership piece of a Nas song that doesn't make money anyway is not a great investment. Um, I still love that it, it makes it accessible. People can, can participate in super fandom. What we struggled with when we dove face first into NFT land was this is not accessible to 99.9% .9 of my customers. Like I'm going to tell them they have to have a, a meta wallet. Like yeah. they can barely figure out how to get through the three steps on our.com. And, yeah. you know, I think we, we basically looked at like, we have a lot of web three characteristics to the business. We're enabling artists to monetize and people to make money through creating mm -hmm. art, which is great. Um, but until the maturity level of the space for web three is down to a level where a 55 year old with very limited computer skills can participate. I just think it's alienating our customer base. And so like, we'll do some one-off stuff and, and we'll kind of have, you know, an NFT that we dress up a certain way and give certain songs to, but otherwise uh, it's more for private use. So yeah. hearing you tell the story this way is actually super helpful because uh, it's legitimately I'm um, the use case that that proves the case. I think back to my beginnings in tech and I think back to, you know, my first job out of college was a, I was a Java programmer at World Book Publishing making encyclopedias. And I remember thinking about and I wouldn't even say I thought about it. I don't think I was had any maturity around this at all. I, it had to be really pushed on me. But this idea that that how important it is to build things that people can use. You know, I, said, right. I say that, I say it out loud, and it's such a silly problem, but it's, it's true in that, you know, we so often 
we are building something partially to see if we could build it like this very ego-based individual kind of perspective. Like, could I, can I build this? And I think oftentimes we forget that the, the, the person that you should be building it for is the user. And, and I say this out loud and it sounds asinine. <laughs> like who else are we building for? But I don't know how many times I, the projects I've been involved with, products I've been involved with, things I've built, um, people I've advised, companies that I've worked with, we, we forget about the user so often. And um, one of my favorite things to do when, we, when I was speaking in front of big audiences is be like, you know, we talk to this startup audience, let's say, you know, and you'd always ask like, raise your hand if you've talked to the user in the last week. And like, you know, maybe 10% Handful, would. Yeah. yeah, you know, not, you know, it's just like, how is it that this is the life we live in? And I, I'm guilty of this today. You know, it's like, we get, we get so deep in what we're building, so excited about what we're building, we forget that there's one person that, it's, that, that needs to be, you know, like the stakeholder which is that user, that consumer. And I think crypto is more confusing because the people building are oftentimes the users. And so they really are building for themselves in many ways. Mm. But I think they have a, and I won't suggest that it's myopic, but I will suggest that I, for the most part, my friends that are building a crypto super deep and myself are, uh, have maybe a difference, which is I think that it's better when there's more people I think it's better when they're, when it's hyper diverse. I think it's better when you don't know everyone's background. Um, and so when I look at a ecosystem, whether it's you know tech or whether it's whatever it might be, I really, really value hyper diversity. Um, and crypto has this in one way, which is it's very global. Um, but when you look at like the communities in the U.S., it's not very diverse. You look at the communities in the U.S., it's pretty male centric and and maybe even if you took out, you know, ethnicity and you took out gender, it's 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 very rooted in a bunch of people, and I have to include myself in this, who were very lucky to be early. When those are your builders, the people who are lucky to be early, you're not necessarily building things that are super accessible. You're building things that work for you. Right. Um, and I, so I don't necessarily fault them, but I really think we have to look towards the future. Do we want the environment the crypto environment, that ecosystem to just be people who were very lucky in 2017. <laughs> like, I don't think so. Like, I think we want it to be accessible to everyone because there's a couple, like I talked to every crypto company I talked to is struggling to hire people. One of the reasons they're struggling to hire people is because it's hard as shit to work in crypto. <laughs> it just doesn't like, it's like hard, like not the tech where isn't you, hard. It's just you, like, where do you find the people? Yeah. Where do you find them? How do you make sure you're not just hiring people who are like, you don't want to hire the same people over and over again. You, you need your team to be diverse so that you build innovative, interesting products. Like how do you, how do you foster this when it's difficult to get into crypto in the first place? So I started thinking a lot about what is the on-ramp for people? And the thing is, is I found all sorts of amazing orgs that are doing this. You know, I don't have to be the one that is building this, which I'm super happy about. So I feel like people are building this, but then, and people are doing all sorts of things. There's DAOs that are focused on this, and, you know, and during a bear market right now, it's obviously a little more difficult, maybe less attractive to some people than it was before when it was very uh, bullish. But uh, um, there's still people that are focused on this. What we found though, is that there's all these companies that are paying people in crypto. And I say all these companies as if there's like, bunches and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of them. Maybe there are internationally, but like, but in, in the US, there's dozens of companies that are paying their contributors 
in crypto, USDC, stable coins, whatever. They're not necessarily paying them or a token of their own. Gitcoin, for example, compensates their people. But there's lots of DAOs that compensate their people in tokens. This is where the Star Trek money part really started to spark my eye. This is where it started to evolve from this kind of idea of you're just trading cards with NFTs or you're, you know, you're just trying to like collect assets and hoping they increase. It's, it's, you know, we would talk to young engineers who just graduated from college, has their first job, they work for three DAOs, they're getting paid 100k each DAO, they're killing it on money. Um, 1099 work so it's it's much more on the side of like um, you know they don't have a full-time job like maybe like I did they don't have the water cooler environment they don't have the stuff but they're definitely a worker doing work they just happen to be compensated in tokens and what I found interesting about this is like I was like well that's like how does it work and so as I learned more I found out either they were rich so they could afford to be paid in magic beans (laughs) <laughs> or they had a partner who was like compensated in USD or fiat. And so they could afford that lifestyle. And then I realized that one of the problems that we have in crypto is we have this really cool thing that we can pay in the Star Trek money, the magic beans, the USDC or whatever it is. It's great. This is, this is a, I think this is a, I think stable coins can change fintech forever. I really believe this strongly, but we don't have any way to buy things with crypto. That's easy. And so that's really what we've been banging our head against for the last almost eight months now is really how do you buy burritos? How do you buy normal stuff? How do you pay for childcare? How do you pay your rent? Like, and not how do you convince the landlord to accept crypto? That's certainly a path. And that's a path a lot of people have gone down. That's not the path we've gone down. What we've been figuring out is how do we become a gateway that is on one side, stable coins, on the other side, the TradFi rails that everyone uses. So that you go to Taco Bell, you can buy your favorite burrito supreme that you get every day that you love. You don't have to have like some fancy Taco Bell crypto thing. Um, and so we've been really focusing on this. This has been really exciting. We haven't really talked much about it. So I'm excited to share a little bit, but it is on the edge. And our, our thesis and why I think this is, is so important is because we know from spending time at places like, you know, PayPal and Venmo, we know that the more we are, the easier it is for someone to buy groceries, the more likely it is for them to take a job in this space. Like, because if I pay someone in stable coins and they can't buy groceries with that, that means that if someone doesn't have a lot of money, they're not going to take that job. But if they can buy groceries, fuck it, they'll take the job, which means we can add more people into the crypto ecosystem, which means it'll be better and the products will be better and everything will be better. This isn't going to solve world peace or anything, but at least it solves, I think, some of the accessibility problems about this one piece. And the hope is, is that while we're doing this, other people are making the wallet onboarding process better. Other people are working on, you know, onboarding generally into this space. Other people, you know, and this is all butting up into this idea that a lot of VCs are calling the contributor economy. There's all sorts of aspects around this that I think are really important. And um, it's all kind of coming together very fast. And so, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of generally what we're up to. Listen, I, I totally agree with you on this. You know, infinitely more than I do about the space. <clears throat> what I will tell you is as an average user, I, I was early enough in the sense that like 2016 and 17, I was playing. I didn't make a huge bet, but I mean enough that it was, you know, it was nice when it was 60,000 a Bitcoin. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> not now. But one of the reasons I, I maintained sort of a bearish approach to it, to be honest, was the fact that it, it didn't seem usable in a common way. I couldn't go buy things with it. And, and like yep. when I would talk to people, which apparently was everyone on Twitter for a period of time who was an expert, the, the end solution was they were basically rebuilding what the USD does. They were building ATMs and they're building all this dumb shit that like we already did before. 
So you're trying to convince all these people we've got a new way of tech, a new, more efficient operating process. Only uh, we have to do all this shit the same the way we did before. Like it didn't, didn't make any sense to me. And I, the more I would get, you know, there was some failed projects, obviously, well, most of them, but lots of failed projects in the NFT space where I, I could see, you know, like I was an early investor in Republic uh, that does sort of the equity crowdfunding. And they have been playing around with their tokens and Republic coin and all these different ways to sort of liquidate some of your holdings in the form of a coin. The concept of it, of basically saying, we're going to go back to the barter system where I have my tokens, you have your tokens. We can sort of continue to go out and buy things and do things without having to create new processes for how do we exchange. And I don't have to convert back to cash to make it real. If you can solve that, then you solve everything. Then, then this whole thing starts to make a hell of a lot of sense to me. It's if you yeah. don't solve it, that it becomes like, well, what is the difference? Like, wh well, why would the like, U.S. government have their own coin? That'd just be their solution, which is a bad it's, one. It's, you know, and there's lots of solutions. There's a lot of people who are, who are swinging, the, you know, taking a swing. And our perspective is I want it to be super easy, but I don't want to sacrifice the powers of crypto. Right. So, so imagine the stakeholders that you have in front of you. You have um, OFAC. You have AML compliance issues. You have a bank. You have the traditional rails. You have the merchants. You have all these people in front of you. And then you also have someone like us, me, for example, who's like, I don't want centralization. I'm decentralized. I want, I want to have ownership of my crypto. I want that value. And so, like, the bridge here is very complicated. It's, it is a gateway in many ways where we're just trying to think of this. How do you create the thing that satisfies all parties? I think we've done it. I think we're close. Um, you know, so stay tuned on that. We're so early on this. We've we've really glued everything together. We're so early that we don't even have like a a, a real solid name yet for the product. Um, but we're very very close. We'll, we'll obviously be putting more up on on Galactic.io, and I probably once we get closer, I won't be able to shut up about it on my Twitter. So <laughs> stay close. Stay tuned there. But I, it, you're right. Like the the fundamental idea that if I could take an NFT that I'm very proud of, that I appreciate, you know, that, that is worth something and somehow figure out how to stake that and yield a burrito. That'd be awesome. Like right. that'd be incredible. That's like the future of money in many ways. And then the other thing is, is like, I think that's cool. But what I'm more excited about is the person who just got into, got a crypto job and they were, the, the company was like, or the DAO or whomever was like, hey, we'd love to compensate you in stable coins. And they did that and allowed them to actually use that to buy groceries. Like, that's awesome. And do it in a way that's compliant, legal, fits in the U.S., isn't some, like, libertarian dream machine type <laughs> thing. Like, like, I feel like we can do this by participating in the regulatory regime of the United States without having to sacrifice either side. And, um, you know, obviously there is, I think the biggest problem that I see within the crypto space is something that's going to be very difficult to figure out, which is... Um, you know, the U.S. is very focused on centralization and crypto is very focused on decentralization. I mean, you see this tension play out in many ways. You see this on Twitter, right? Twitter is, is a centralized service. Twitter sees the future as decentralized, so they're investing in the app protocol, which is decentralized. You know, you see this over and over again. So I feel like this isn't an emergent property for just fintech. 
this is an emergent property of everything we value. Like, how do we make something that is decentralized that gives the person, the consumer, the power? How do we make sure that they have control and ownership? Um, you know, Apple talks a lot about this. I'm not quite sure if I buy Apple's point of view on this, meaning I think they might be a little hypocritical, but they still talk about it. Like, you know, iCloud, the keys on your device, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I think it's really, really important. And the tools that I see many of my peers focusing on are, are, are tools where you will have the keys, whether it's note taking with like, like standard notes, whether it's crypto stuff or, or like new social networks like Farcaster. These things are all places where the identity is owned by the, the consumer and the user. And I think that's really valuable. And I don't think we have to sacrifice that identity just to participate in the traditional finance world. And so we're really hoping that we can, we can crack this nut in such a way that allows for us to have the best of both worlds. Because I really, you know, I just love the idea of being able to have a wallet where, you know, I have the private keys, where I, it is a hardware wallet, whatever it might be, whatever is safe for you. Um, but then you're able to also go and, you know, buy a burrito at your favorite taqueria. The irony here is that the detractors on this are saying how crazy this may or may not be to get to this point in the world. And the reality is like, just look at what's going on around you with cybersecurity breaches, with what Meta does, with what every yep. device that you have, every IoT device connected to your fucking stove, to your refrigerator knows who you are, what you eat, where you shop. Like yeah. you got to own your own stuff. Otherwise we're going to have a real hard time. And well, it's, you know, it's such a complicated thing. Like it's really, it's really, very really hard because I truly, I believe in this, but I also think that there's some things that are nice that are centralized. Uh, I don't think I could exist in a completely decentralized fashion. With that said, I think we have to build things that allow the user and the consumer to make that decision with some autonomy. Right. Uh, I actually believe the users are typically smarter than we give them. I think a lot of times we look at these users and we think, they can't handle it. They're going to lose their keys. Maybe, but like, you know, this is why we have to invest in things that are better. Like, like Apple's doing it with the pass keys. Yeah. Like that technology was something that I heard many people say, we can't afford that because what happens if you lose your computer, you lose access to that website. True. But what if we made it so it's, so it's like backed up in a way that's safe? What if we right. made it so there's a social recovery aspect? There's so many solutions to this that, and I think on the internet, sometimes it's way easier to be a hater. I've fallen into that trap a bit. It's way easier to like think of only the negative things, but it's way more fun to build with positivity and thinking towards the future. And yeah, well, I have a lot of hope for this. It's pretty exciting. And I've, I've, you know, the thing that I've been very lucky about is I came into the space with a pretty good network of people that were working in the space. So I had some very good people who were able to like, I was able to stand on their shoulders a bit and just learn a lot from. And so that's pretty cool. Julian from Unlock is probably the one that, or, or a friend of mine, Shizau. Um, but these people are people that are like good guides, the Virgil of sorts, walking us through this stuff and kind of letting us know, you know, where the, where they be dragons and where there aren't dragons. Turns out there's a lot of dragons. Mostly dragons. And for those Mostly of us who are standing on your shoulders as the, the, the folks coming up behind you here, we appreciate everything that you've done. Um, been a big fan of all of your work over the years. Appreciate what you've done for Technori over the years. Um, and it's a pleasure to have you on this. I hope people just follow you on Twitter at Harper and they can yep. learn everything about Galactic and what's coming down the, the pipe here. Um, it's, it's great to catch up with you. I really appreciate everything you're doing. Well, thank you. Thank you. One of the things that I think is really important is, you know, I came up in Chicago. A lot of people helped me 
get to where I am. And if there's anything I can help with, with anyone listening, just feel free to hit me up. Um, obviously on Twitter works, but my email is at uh, harper at modest.com. Would love to help out startups. Would love to chat more about this stuff. Um, you know, hit me up. Awesome. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you. If you're interested in self-directed investing from startups to crypto and public markets, my Substack is a great way to learn how professional investors screen, review, and pull the trigger on deals. Join the largest community of micro-investors and startup founders on Substack by going to katoon.com.